out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 show and this is David Eastall. Keeping it real as I spin the wheels of steel. Anyway, I've been delving into my archive and uh, various interviews. And this is one I did with Jake Schillenfib very recently. He of My Life Story, everything you wanted to know about the band, but were afraid to ask. They have a new album out and also a tour going through from November the 20th to, well, next next Valentine's Day. Let's not talk about that, though. Um, but they'll be in Norwich on the 21st of November at Epic Studios 2019, if you're listening to it. Um, now and not into the future and feeling quite confused or more confused as normal anyway this is the interview and um, this is Jake it's quality chat that's all I have to say and um, after a slight chat about um, the world of Skype we then got down to the exciting stuff of the new record and this is the interview take it away Jake well actually you can hear me first you have a new album out and the first thing that I'm curious about is the artwork, because normally you've always been more of a pastoral artist, whereas this is kind of reminds me of a Yes cover called Going for the One, which was released in 1977, and it has a similar vibe. Were you at all aware of the Yes album? No, it wasn't, we weren't aware of that album, but we did, um, we, we did our, after the fact, we sort of realised that we were moving a bit more towards the sort of hypnosis type of artwork, I don't know whether that was a hypnosis um, production, but I did start to realise once we start, once we brought the Droog, the font is called Droog, which um, as a, you know has a you know points you in the sort of clockwork orange direction, sort of, sort of pop dystopia. But that was added after Scott Greenwell had had produced the artwork, so. You know, the artwork was produced by Scott. I, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't me that drove the artwork as such. Scott, Scott had come up with a series of digital art which featured a sun in each picture, and I really loved this idea of this, uni- this sort of uniting piece of nature that was putting all these these characters together. So. We just um, we went with that really. It really felt like it was going to work for world, you know, the the title World Citizen. Then the font came along, and then we started to realise that oh, it does have a it does have a bit of seventies hypnosis vibe to it. And um, that's when we put the logo and the album title right across the very top of the album sleeve and the CD sleeve. And I think that also really helps make you feel like it's a real record because those you know those original records from the 70s and then moving even even into punk you had that logo really clearly right across the top um you know filling sort of justified from left to right so so yeah so there was i suppose there was a bit of a yeah it did feel like it, it had a sort of 70s feel to it and and we were we were listening to like a lot of 70s music i mean jimmy webb and and the drum, the drum sound is quite dry, sort of snare sound. So there was, yeah, so there was a, there was a feel of that. Yes, because <clears throat> um, just because the last time, well, what, the last time you were in Norwich, I think you were at the Art Centre, weren't you, playing yeah. My Life Story? And I think you might have been rec- um, 
a few times recently, but that was with a very sort of different band and lineup who were mostly, I think, your students. So how does this kind of recording differ from those dates you had a few years ago? Not much, really, apart from we've got an orchestra on it. Um, I mean, there's a lot of... Um, I'm trying to think of who else is on it. Um, Steve Norman from Spandau Ballet played sax on it. He moved to Brighton recently and we became friends. Um, and he heard some demos and just said, look, just get me on the record. So I sort of wrote, I wrote him into the record, like like a sort of, you write an, an actor into a play if you want to get the actor into the, if you want to get the actor in. Um, so yeah, I, I sort of wrote a little space for him to play on a song called Telescope Moonlight Boy. And then the rest of it, you know, uh, well, I mean, most of it was, is, is guitarist Nick Evans and myself writing in our studio in Brighton and then a rhythm section, um, who, yes, I did used to teach. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then an orchestra in Budapest. Yes. Which was quite an ambitious thing. So, lyrically, it's very different to your early work, which was full of romance. This seems to be somehow... It alludes to the current political times. Is that something that I've read into it, or is it kind of... Would you agree with that? Um, well, I, uh, well, I, well, I, well, I wouldn't agree that it's not romantic, because I think there's some incredibly romantic songs on there. I think No Filter um, is really romantic. Um, I... Yeah, it, it, but I do totally agree with you that it is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very intentionally set against the now. I think, I think the first the first thing I wanted to do was I wanted to I didn't want to write. Okay, so these, this was there was some so there was some do's and don'ts. The first thing was a don't, which is don't write another My Life Story record as if it was you know 2002 and that you know that would have been the natural successor successor to Join Up Talking. Uh, I didn't want to write a sort of a Britpop record per se, although, you know, my life story, you know, kind of fall into that sometimes, but, you know, we, we don't, we're not an angular sort of four piece guitar band. So, um, and so once I made that decision, then it was, well, okay, let's write something that really reflects what's going on now. Now, obviously we are in a political situation. The album doesn't make any political statements as such, but it does mention, it does mention the truth a lot and it talks a lot about um it does talk, i mean it addresses um doubts and it's kind of set against the political times i mean one of the really interesting things about the record was i didn't write any of the lyrics until may and uh, hang on april may and june of this year so the lyrics were unlike any other record i've made all the lyrics were written with 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 the current sort of landscape around us so in some ways i quite like that i mean i've i was i was speaking to a friend about abigail's party and how i love the sort of language and the vernacular of the times really set really sums up the that era mentioned in the 70s um but um so so this was you know trying to use language and and the feel around us and I just always think that when you're in a state of confusion and when you're being bamboozled by propaganda, that sometimes, because we're always looking for truth, and I think that I've started to find truth in sort of the ones that are closest to me and the people that I love, and I find there's a lot of truth in nature. 
So throughout the album, there are a lot of references to nature and natural things like the rose, the sun, overwinter, a country with no coastline. These all, even Telescope, Moonlight Boy, they, they all mention very n natural things in them. And I think that it's looking for, that the album is kind of looking for truth in a world that is, you know, has a lot of falsehoods in it. Um, and I think that that's when I arrived at the title World Citizen, because it's almost like, you know, well, we're all world citizen, citizen, really. So, um, citizens. Yes. Yeah, so it was just sort of, yeah, mixing all those things together. Yes. Well, I just remember sort of back in the 80s, there was a very, you had to be on one side or the other, and it was either kind of Red Wedge and the indie scene, or you were with, you know, Spandau Valley and Duran Duran and Stephen Norman, Stephen Norf, Norman um, on the other, who were just kind of living at large, weren't they, and didn't seem particularly politically aware, especially their lead singer. Um, so it was just, it just feels like that has started to come back into, you know, the artist's consciousness, really, because you can't really sort of avoid it. I mean, you could avoid politics during the sort of new Labour, liberal kind of dominant, kind of ideology but now it would be very difficult not to start to address some of these issues yeah absolutely and and i'm not you know i i certainly i, I don't yeah i mean you're right in some ways about how when we were younger how certain bands would i mean but that, that's not changed is it i mean there, there there are loads of bands that 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 sort of hang their coat on a certain peg you know in terms of their political views that, like I said, I, I, you know, there's no political viewpoint on this album. It's just, you know, it's it's set to, you know, the, a backdrop of of what's going on round. It's actually it's more about nature and love set to this to this chaos. I, I think a lot of it's about chaos. It's about it's about finding calm in chaos and simplicity simplicity in in chaos. Looking for simple things. Yes. Well, yes, I, I kind of agree. But I suppose you, you've got quite a sort of anthem with taking on the world and then you have world citizen and a country with no coastline. I suppose I sort of read that slightly differently when I listened to it as well. So I just thought that sounded like somebody who was kind of feeling quite, you know, like they needed to say something a bit about what was happening so that years later people will go, yes, well, look, people were starting to sort of address these issues. Well, country with no coastline actually isn't was is really really about um about me actually and about it, it's it's a similar theme to a song i wrote many years ago my life story song called welcome to my archipelago it's the idea of the 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 body being a sort of land mass and sort of not being not letting things in and not being able to communicate so i kind of I quite like the title because I knew loads of people would just think it was about Brexit. But it's actually not that bad at all. Uh, so, so I like that. Um, but that's typical of me, really. I quite I love people just reading what they want to in the lyrics. I really don't mind, you know. Um, but I obviously have my own <laughs> interpretation of them because that's how they started out. But I don't mind, you know. I don't mind if you, you know. I, you know, yeah. If you think it sounds like a really political album, then that's that's sort of quite good, really. I mean, actually, one thing I've tried to do is I've tried I've tried to be as sort of vague as I can. That was another another do in my do's and don'ts column is just try and be as open, really, and let people sort of read in, um, you know, lyrics like three hundred and sixty-five. Sunsets will rise into my open eyes. I thought things like that, you know, I think that they're very sort of, they're kind of descriptive 
um, but also surreal. Um, and I, I like I like the fact that people could read in their own, put their own language into the record. Yes. And is, is my life story, is it one of those things that you can never quite let go? Because there must have been a few times over the decades that you've let it drop a bit and put it to one side in a box, in a cupboard with a lock key, yeah. and then thought, oh, my God, actually, the urge has come. I need to scratch it. Well, I don't know. Or put no. it... That's really that's a very astute point, David. I think your description of a box is quite apt, really. Yeah, I mean, I, it's always a very. I mean, you call your band My Life Story. It's such a personal thing, you know. I suppose I've, I've got this thing about when people, a lot of bands end up sort of becoming the, you know, the name of the band. The name of the band sort of ends up redictating really their life, really, and uh, and or their music. So, you know, it is. It is. It does. I suppose as I've got older, it means more to me. Making the record means more to me. I mean, I, the thing is, I make music all the time because I, Nick and I write music for telly, and we wrote a film last year for a film last year, and and so it's not like I've got a musical um, itch to scratch. Um, but you know, we we've really enjoyed working f with creative people, uh, clients of ours who are not musicians, but are creatives. And they, you know, our job has been to sort of try and realize what's in their head in musical form. And that's a real challenge when somebody can't articulate in a musical language. Um, and that, you know, that's been and that's what that's what my journey has been like for the last sort of five or six years. And I've really enjoyed it. It's like, you know, a puzzle. But I think you're right. I just felt like I wanted to open the box, really, um, and return to writing lyrics for myself. I think it was that's what it that was the, the, the driving force of it. And of course, you know, also to be brutally frank, you know, there there just has been a lot of interest in 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 bands of of you know from the 90s and and the sort of music that came out of that decade and 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 that has you know that has you know come to our attention and we've you know we've been back playing live again i mean the 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 one thing i did have to do is i had to you know we did a big farewell show at the shepherd's bush empire where we you know we retired the the original lineup as such with the strings and brass section various members from that era and that's pure that was purely from a practical point of view you know there's members of my life three that dotted all over the globe from los angeles to Derry, um and um and and it's incredibly expensive you know a band like my life three just you know, you know we were lucky really that we were we were a band of that time and that you know it was i'm i'm sure you you probably know there was the you know we used to make when we made this statement you know we if we don't get signed to a, a major record label label then we'll, we'll we'll split up because there was no way that the sort of grand vision of my life tree would would have survived really um so you know that that but that was a, then that was a tough decision to make you know but as soon as i made it i knew that i still wanted to go out and play and and um, I'm really, you know, so I really love playing live. And I think it was, come, it was from playing live that we then decided to make a record. Yes, because it was 10 years ago when you brought out your solo acoustic solo album, 2009, wasn't it? Written Large, which did feature some very stripped down versions of My Life Story tracks. Yeah, and that was, that was an attempt to, to try and 
I, I just really felt like I wanted people to hear the songs, really. I think sometimes I, I, I've been quite self-critical of maybe over arranging some songs when I was younger. And, you know, I mean, I suppose when you do have an orchestra at your disposal, you do go a bit nuts. You know, I just uh, and then and then, of course, what happens is. You know, the cellist goes, oh, I know, a, I know a great flautist, you know, let's get her in. And then the flautist arrives and then says, oh, well, you, really, you should really get some harp on this record. My best friend's a harpist, you know. And then the next thing, you know, you've just in this incredible, you know, you're in this toy box, you know, of, of, of amazing stuff. And you just keep adding more and more to it. So, yeah, I think written large, the idea, and the, you know, the, the title suggests that it was, you know, I just wanted to focus on hopefully people could hear the hear the actual songwriting. Yes, because most bands, a lot of bands that I interview, I realised, and it was probably more in the 80s, they had a five-year narrative. They'd have like 18 months to two years getting together, making a sound. John Peel would then play it. They'd get that John Peel session. Then the album, things were going quite well. The second album, a bit tricky. If they ever toured America, disaster. And then they split. So with My Life Story, you were a little bit later. You were more in the sort of 90s. But you did do three albums, but... They varied a lot, didn't they? Because you had your golden, the Golden Mile, and then Mornington Crescent, which were very similar. And Mornington then was first. What was that? Mornington Crescent was the first album, then the Golden Mile, and then joined up talking. Right, God, yeah. I should have got that right. But then, oh. but the, the interesting thing was that joined up talking. How do you look at that album in retrospect now? I look at it like. Milo's through a band that did things in reverse. So most bands start off as a sort of four-piece band and, 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 and may have some additional instrumentation, like some strings or something on it. And then they, get a, then they have a grander and grander vision. Milo's started off as like, you know, a 14-piece band working with Giles Martin, George Martin's son at Air Lindhurst, you know, doing all this sort of big pompous stuff. And then sort of then by our third album, we sort of, you know, tightened it up a little bit more and tried to make something that was a little bit more direct. Um, but, you know, I, I, I joined up talking out of those three is my, actually my favourite album, um, and purely because I think the songs on it are, the, are better. Right. That's quite... That, 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 that will shock the fans, won't it? Because did you feel, because when Britpop was kind of, you know, we'd had the sort of the... in You know, I mean, this is very simplistic, the indie world, then we had the, the 80s, then the, the late sort of period then was the dance then grunge then brit pop and you were there kind of just as brit pop was kind of at its height really did you feel like oh christ i wish we'd been a few years earlier well we were we were i mean uh, 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 it just took us a long time to get signed but 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 you know i was living um i was living two tube stops up from camden i was living in Bursars park from 1987 um and and knew most of the protagonists of that time and i like to think that i was one of them you know i mean you know i was that i was that bloke you know going into sainsbury's wearing a you know a boating blazer and a and <laughs> and a roll neck top you know and uh um with buckled shoes on um you know, we there was there was a lot of people that were knocking around in North London that that were were trying to create an antithesis to grunge. I mean, my approach was to try and go a little bit more down the. I suppose that my, my heroes were the sort of the the heroes of, of David Bowie, so people like Anthony Newley. You know, so I was I was sort of listening to those kind of people and 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 sort of and delving into a sort of a lost Englishness from that era. I suppose you could even include someone like David Essex in that. 
Um, and of course, you know, but then everybody had their own interpretation of that. So I guess, I don't know, Blur probably thought that Wire, you know, were their heritage or whatever. So, but I was going, I was going much back towards that sort of, sort of fifties era. Um, and listening to a lot of that and obviously Scott Walker and Jimmy Webb and, and artists like, you know, just great songwriters. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I, but we, yeah, we were always around. I mean, my life three were, you know, playing with a, with a string quartet, um, you know, in pubs around Camden town in 1990, 1991. So yeah, it just took us a long, you know, it just, you know, the record labels were a bit scared of signing a, you know, a 12 piece band. Yes. How do you manage? Because most people, there's a four or five piece. But when you have that amount of personnel, how do you sort of deal with the the dynamic as well as the admin with that that sort of sort of size of band? Well, we had we had brilliant we had two brilliant managers over the course of that time, Anthony Hill and then Adrian Boss. The, the great irony was that Adrian Boss also managed Carter, which was the complete opposite to my last room. So in that it's just two of them and a, and a cassette <laughs> recorder, cassette player. Um, and um, I mean, in a very strange way, um, having so many people, um, there was there never really was any like there, there was never any really big arguments or anything like that, because I think that with so many people on the road and so many people around the place, you know, it just diffused any tension. You know, we were more of a community than a band. Um, and so, you know, it was it was really lovely. You know, and other, when we went, went on, the, on, on the road, you know, other bands were very, very gracious towards us and allowed us to use, like, their dressing room so we could spread out a bit. Obviously, you know, the, the band was, was pretty much nearly, well, I think it was about 60% male, 40% female so you know the girls needed to 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 get their makeup on and put their Versace dresses on and you know there was <laughs> you know there's lots of great stories about my last on the road with some sort of some quite sort of you know what you would consider quite sort of very outrageous rock bands I mean we we, we played with Oasis in the early days you know and and uh you know and, and lots of stories about my you know the 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 all the string players these petite lovely girls you know being far more rock and roll than uh, certain uh, famous people that you'd expect yes it would be like that you know so it's a really good time you know so it was a, I mean, like i said i just don't think that you'd ever get you couldn't get away with a band like milo story now i mean crumbs i mean you know five piece indie bands you know won't get signed now because there's too many of them if you look at if you look at all the bands that have been successful in the last sort of six or seven years even longer for, i mean maybe something with the ting tings or you know, the Black Keys, the White Stripes, you know, that that sort of thing. Ed Sheeran and Adele are the two biggest artists, arguably, in the world, along with Kanye. I mean, these are all solo artists, you know, with a very, very cheap setup that's easily tourable. Yes. Well, did you also, because I, I did see you live quite a few times, including the month of Sunday, one of those month of Sundays. Oh, yeah. Uh, which was quite an epic night because you did have a very loyal fan base at that stage. But the one art, one one of the musicians that you seem to have a very close bond with was, I think his name was Danny on the keyboards, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. And you used to often do quite a few little numbers with Danny. Did you? Was that was that something that you particularly enjoyed? Because there was all the kind of, you know, big, you know, stage leg kicking you know stuff which you can do when you're in your 20s and 30s um and then you have to slow down but then I just wondered if you enjoyed those kind of very sort of subtle moments as well absolutely yeah I mean that was um 
Yeah, I think I think. Yeah, I just uh, you know I, I I suppose it was just trying to create a bit of light and shade. So um, I sort of refer to my point earlier about throwing everything but the kitchen sink into the arrangement of the songs when you've got all these musicians at your disposal. So. I just it was just about yeah creating intimate intimate moments at, at at gigs and 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 bringing bringing it down you know bringing bringing the atmosphere down and 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 pulling focus maybe again on on the songwriting you know and so that was that was that was a nice you know so just yeah just a nice thing to do yes and when when you were recording joined up talking did you have a feeling that might be your last album well every every album we thought was our last album. I mean, there's no, there was never a time when I, I mean, we were never, we were never signed in a way that where I, I ever felt, oh, we can, we can really, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just do this album because we're going to do another one, you know, next year. It was always the threat of being dropped. We only ever signed for one album each time. So we, we were actually dropped after every single album we made. So, uh, which is not a track record to be proud of, but, um, yeah, so there was always that tension in there. I sort of can hear that in the record sometimes, actually. Yes, well, I would imagine. And did you have a moment where you all sat down and said, we're going to have a, you know, this is the end, to quote Jim Morrison? Yeah, we just, um, Adrian, our manager, um, decided to um, retire from the, the business. Um, I think he'd sort of had enough. Uh, he, did, he wanted to move out of management um i wanted to do something a bit simpler and a little bit um just a bit more direct so i wanted to move i moved on to write songs for my um my next project exile inside um and yeah i mean everybody everybody just it did it did feel like a real natural end to it you know of, of that of that setup but of course i mean it didn't it was only six years later that we reformed and then we started to do you know, a show every year or every other year with with that lineup again. So, you know, it was lo- it was always really lovely to see everybody again. Yes. Um, you know, but but for this record, it it I don't have any of those feelings. I, I certainly don't ever. You know, I've got no. I've had no pressure from anybody. You know, there's no sort of threat over it. So I think that's why this record sounds different to me. Like it doesn't sound like a bookend, you know, like all the other records did. Is that because the lineup is so different? Um, well, it's uh, not really because the lineup is as this lineup is is I suppose is as flexible as the lineup previously. I just think that I, you know, I'm not really in the music industry as such. Although, oh, I can maybe put it this way: my um, the. Um, the commercial side of what I do musically, I do every day writing, you know, in the world of sync. So I don't, I, yeah. So those, those commercial pressures are there anyway. And that, and that's something I enjoy. So I suppose this is, I suppose the equivalent of a graphic artist going home to paint a you know, to draw a, I don't know, a line drawing of a chart with charcoal of his wife. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, you know, He's designing baked bean cans during the day, and then he can go home and uh, and do what he wants, really, in his own time from an artistic point of view. So I suppose that's that's why I quite like it. And hey, look, there's lots of it's a really it's a really poppy record, World Citizen. There's loads of melody on it. You know, it's not it's not like I'm not ashamed of writing really 
you know commercial catchy songs i love i love pop music and i and i hope that that's clearly demonstrated on the record yes and when you look at your own sort of creative journey do you sort of do you recognize that person you know back in the early 90s who were writing those epic love start songs um yeah, I do. You know, in, uh, you know, that's why I was a little bit confused about your comment about, you know, that you didn't think it was very romantic because I, I think there's loads of romance on this record. I mean, the one, the song, the one is, is, and it's very simplistic, but it all it is is just saying, you know, you're, you're, you know, is, is spotting a girl, and immediately, you know, falling in love with, you know, it's about love at first sight, you know, and, and so yeah, there, I suppose some of those topics have come up but then you know this album's you know on this album you've got broken and 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 overwinter which are you know very desperately sad you know um you know that's about loss you know and and um i guess over the course of this record i've you know lost and found a lot of people and i'm at that age as well where you know there's a there's there's people that are, you know that i love that are no longer in my life anymore that have, have passed away and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of emotion i think there's a lot of emotion on the on the record but like i said that's uh, that's up to other people to interpret yes well i guess you know you're you're the first two albums you you know of my life story were were sort of romantic overload weren't they they were just very they were just full of the bliss of romance and dating and the first yeah. kiss you know there was just you know it was and that's what people loved you know and that's why we came to see you quite a lot and I know you also dealt with death because I think there was a song called November the 5th which was a yes. one of your friends passing away and having to deal with that which yeah reminded me a bit of that Jimmy Somerville song from the communards about seeing somebody die of AIDS so it was quite a, you know it had that slight homage to that that particular mm. track as well so there was there was those elements as well but but like you know I remember seeing Lloyd Cole recently and he was feeling a bit embarrassed playing some of his early work with the classic when there were lines about making love all night and he was thinking you know not at my age anymore <laughs> <laughs> it's very Lloyd Cole he's not he's not ashamed of lyrics like she looks like Simone de De Beauvoir, was it with American circumstance or whatever? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I love Lloyd Carl. He's great. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I guess what you're saying is, does does when when you've just written an album like this, obviously the lyrics and the vernacular are, are, are you know, that's that's what's happening now and that's me now. When I when I when I play older songs in the set next to these newer ones, do they feel any different? And the answer is yes, you know, it is quite, you know, that the, I, I, I just, I, I just hear a 28 year old man really trying hard, you know, that's what I hear when I listen back to my old songs, you know, it's like someone that really wants, somebody that really wants to be accepted is what I hear. And when I hear a lot of those old songs accepted maybe by the, the musical fraternity or friends or whatever that's that's kind of what i hear when i hear those records i mean you know some songs like i mean it's quite weird really because songs like funny ha ha you know i i don't you know it feels like a little bit of a throwaway record to me but i we played it recently and it probably went down better than any other song in the set and so many people have got an affection for that song so you know, it's just a bit, it's a bitchy song. I quite like bitchy songs. You know, if you can't live without me, then why aren't you dead yet? Funny, aha. You know, they're just, they're songs that are written in three minutes when I'm feeling really angry and frustrated with somebody and I just want to have a bit of a bit, bitch session. 
Um, so, and, and I think people maybe, you know, enjoy those. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of any lyrics or anything like that. I, I, I just, I just, I just hear them from a different mouth. Yes. And did you, I mean, obviously there's been a bit of a fashion in the last few years of people wanting to put on exhibitions of stuff like the David Bowie one at the um, V&A and Pink Floyd. And obviously you also have a lot of outfits. Did you keep the outfits? And you used to do an awful lot of merchandising as well. I just wondered if in a mini sort of way, My Life Story would ever have been able to sort of say, be able to document your life of both music and fashion. That's a that's a lovely thought. I don't think we were big enough to have our own <laughs> exhibit in the V&A. Although um, in uh, in 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 typical faded seaside glamour, my life story ness, um, I do have I have some one outfit and some memorabilia actually on exhibit right now at the Beecroft Gallery in my hometown of South End on Sea. So uh, so I am in a, muse- a museum right now. Um, <laughs> So that's quite nice. That's in a that's in a, that's in a museum about youth culture. Um, so yeah, the silver the, the silver suit, which was called the Predator, um, that's in there. Yes. Uh, well, you used to bring on your tailor on on stage, didn't you? Yeah, Mr. Gammon. Yeah, yeah. And Mr. Gammon styled. You know, Mr. Gammon um, came back into the frame um, and styled all the new photographs for for the World Citizen campaign and the photo that's on the CD booklet, in the CD booklet. Um, and he's, um, you know, he's remained a good friend. Um, I still do keep, I just still do have all of the clothes that Mr. Gammon made for me. Um, and one of the wonderful things about, you know, that mid-90s period was that record companies would spend just a, an inordinate amount of money on bands and and I was able to yeah have my own tailor I mean there's not many bands that can say that no Liam Gallagher never had his own tailor but look did you ever you know because the one thing that I've also noticed is people like to sort of start archiving stuff in lots of ways including the book and small films or short films and there was one on the chills the go-betweens my um, the wedding present as well, you know, with yeah. the album George Best. Have you ever been a little bit tempted, thinking, "God, we've got quite a lot of material, and we do have a good story"? Yeah, I've never, I've honestly never thought about it. Um, but all I, I will say that I, I absolutely adore the Chills, and Martin Phillips is is one of my all time heroes, and um, and I went to see them many, many times in the eighties when they could get over here. Usually when they were supporting the Hoodoo Gurus. Um, but uh, I'm so pleased that uh, I mean I met Martin many times over the like in the recent past, and um, you know he told me firsthand all about his story. I don't know whether I don't, I don't know whether we really have we got a story to tell. I don't know. There needs to be sort of I mean, is there drugs and death and um, you know is that all really there? I don't know. I wouldn't <laughs> want to talk about all that stuff. I I, I don't know really. I don't but know. It isn't about drug, drugs and death. It was just that you've you've got an awful lot of videos and there was a lot of people and it was just a, kind of an interesting period of, you know, documenting a band and, and their kind of the ups and downs. Because like you said, you know, you had three different record labels. You did those three yeah. albums. Then you've had various, re, you know, reunion tours and dates. And then you've got a new album. So there is a, I don't know, there is a narrative there of, of you yeah. know, an, an artist. And, and also your artwork used to be, drawn or painted by your dad as well and you had you know Giles Martin as well so there there's just kind of a lot of things about the my life story which are quite interesting 
Yeah, there's some there's some funny stuff. Yeah, there's some. In, I mean, yeah. I also recorded Adele when she was 11, and a lot of people don't know that. I think I've I think I've got record. I think I'm the first person to record her on a on a released record. So that's quite mad. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's there are lots of stuff. Yeah, I, I guess you know when you've had a career as long as I have, and it's been a bit in, intermittent, um, you are going to there are going to be some stories. Yeah, maybe I'm not, I'm not so I, I just, you're the first person ever to mention this to me. So I just, I don't really have a direct answer to it. I'm just sort of mulling over what you're saying. Yes. Fair enough. And also there was like, you know, in that world that, you know, when you're probably sort of feeling a bit like you've got to do, you've got to say yes to things in the world of showbiz. Are there things that you think, God, I wish I hadn't done that. I was funny actually. I was thinking just the opposite the other day. I was thinking there was there were a lot of things that people asked. Like I don't know. Like I do a I do a I'd often do a photo shoot for a for a magazine, and they try and get me to take my clothes to get my take at least take my top off, or you know things like that. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not really that sort of artist. I'm not doing that. And uh, and then I was thinking the other day, crumbs. You know, you're only you know only young once. You know, you know if you're if you're half, half decent looking and you, you know, you should, you might as well go, you should, I should have gone for it more really. Um, but I, you know, I, I still have my, uh, you know, decorum really. Yes. Yeah. yeah but, so you, I, but just, yeah. I just remembered one story. Well, I don't know if it was a story. It was in the paper. The, did you have your member plaster of Paris done? Yeah. That was with Cynthia. Yeah. Cynthia plaster caster. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that you... was that was an art thing, really. I mean, I'd I'd known about Cynthia for a long time, and um, she, um, I knew that she did Jimi Hendrix, um, and I'd heard that she did Tony Newley, um, and I also heard that she did Pete Shelley from the Buzzcocks, and Pete Shelley and Tony Newley are kind of two big heroes of mine, so. Um, and then what happened was she came to the UK and she made this kind of announcement in the press that she said there's a there's a there's a um, a well something like there's a I know there's a there's a there's a Brit pop singer male Brit pop singer who I would love to cast. Somebody said who is it and she said well um, he wears a suit and he jumps around on stage or something like that. So everybody thought it was Jarvis, and um, and then. I can't remember exactly what happened, but she's very specific about who she wants to cast. So like, there's a famous story about um, Gene Simmons from Kiss, who even wrote a song about her um, talking about being cast. And she doesn't like Kiss, so um, she's not even interested. She she will only cast people that she whose music she likes. And then it, anyway, it just turned out that she liked My Life Story. I was I was I was really really. Um, yeah, blown over by that, and um, and then I met her when we played at Reading Festival, and uh, we talked quite a lot about it and the process and 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 why she did it, and and it's an amazing story, you know. And she's a collector, you know. She just happens to collect cocks instead of you know top trumps or you know, posters of bands. So <laughs> yeah, I think there was a caveat which was like, just if you ever exhibit, just for God's sake, don't put me next to Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> yes because the other time I remember once you were playing Glastonbury and that was one of those muddy years as well when it was stunned stages were starting to sing but you did manage to to perform even though it was a reduced band because most of them had disappeared in the mud and I always remember John Peel being really impressed 
yeah that was a that was a really lovely there was it just shows you the sort of goodwill that can come out of something like that you're right yes the there was this weird thing going around that the stage is going to sink into the mud. So, you know, we can't really have anything going on, you know, and then the, the, the last thing they wanted was, you know, 14 people on stage. And then I said, well, look, you know, what if I just go on and play, you know, acoustic guitar and just do a couple of songs. And I think that's sort of, you know, that's sort of never say die spirit, I think really resonated with not only John Peel, but actually uh, Michael Evis, who, who um, very kindly invited us back the next year to play on the main stage. Um, so I, yeah, you know, Hey, I, you know, we just got to Glastonbury. I, I wanted to play Glastonbury. I, you know, I, I didn't know whether I'd ever have a, another chance to do so. And on the back of that, we got to play the, play the main stage, which was, which was absolutely, a, you know, a wonderful memory that I'll always have. Yes. And many years ago, I was, I was doing an interview with Martin Fry, who also liked shiny suits and was just a bit older than you. And he was sort of looking a bit lost and a bit sort of like, you know, where where did it all go? And he was saying that, you know, his drummer now, you know, is in Vegas with, you know, Rod Stewart. Did you ever have that moment where you kept seeing members of your band sort of disappearing with Brian Ferry or some other superstar going, oh, great. Well, I did. I did watch Lucy with Brian Ferry because she invited me to the to the concerts. And um, uh, Becky and Ollie, uh, the cellist and other violinists were... Um, writing for what's her name uh, i forgot her name but yeah i mean that the, the, there was always i mean what happened with um with us was that every time we were in a studio the other bands that were in that studio complex would get wind that we were in there and then they would there would always be the inevitable knock on the door and it would be like well, can we use your string section so we ended up on so many i mean we ended up on morrissey records we ended up on pogues records um, you know, and then and then obviously there were then there were lots of Brit, Brit pop bands that started to use strings because of our influence, um, and so you know that's what we became known for. And but I, you know, that was that was great. I mean, I, you know, I, the, you know, the more people that that can, I, I, I was really happy. You know, we were like I said, we were like a community. So I was really happy. I was busy writing songs for my life story. You know, um, you know, it was me that drove. I was the driver to for for the for the strings to play on, on the uh, Mark Mark Arman penned album for PJ Proby because Mark and I are, you know completely you know insanely mental about PJ Proby he's another big hero of mine and that was a wonderful experience so no I mean I suppose in in some ways you know my life street you know it is a band but it it does have you know th- those musicians are from an orchestral background and or- orchestras you know, are quite mercenary. They, 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 you know, they, they, they play someone's work, their, their songs and their com- compositions to the best of their ability. They pack up their violin and then they go into the next gig. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's a great story about the Pogues when we were in Rack Studios and um, uh, I went, I, you know, they were like, oh, we'd really love to use some strings on the track. And I went in there and they had this, um, they had this tape machine running with a microphone in the middle of the control room. And I was, and I was like, why, why are you, why are you recording this conversation? I was a little bit not paranoid, but I was just curious really. And they said, Oh, it's because Shane, Shane always forgets what he said. So when he has an opinion on something, um, he sometimes forgets and then will come back with a contrary opinion to what he had earlier. So, 
<laughs> it was this bizarre session where we had to record every comment he made to make sure that, you know, what he said sort of, you know, yeah, that he didn't contradict himself. <laughs> it really was bizarre, that, that was. That yeah, was I was also going to say, because at that time, just nearly lastly, but there were a few bands, and I remember Manic Street Preachers suddenly appearing with this string section on top of Pops, thinking, that just doesn't work. Did you ever have moments like that where you thought, why are you doing that? That's just, that's just not complimenting the music at all. Oh, well, I suppose it's, it's, it's fashion, isn't it? And, 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 and um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I suppose. I don't know. It's a bit like the 80s and listening to some, some songs from the 80s and going, you know, that song would really benefit if it didn't have a massive thwacking, thudding snare drum on it that sounds like milk is flying off it every time you hit it. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, it, that's. I think that's just, it, it became a trend, didn't it, having strings on your record. Um, I actually thought that when the Mannix used strings, I thought to great effect uh, um, on on a, a design for life, I thought that it really pushed that epicness, you know, that they, they had, that quality they had to the fore. So I really enjoyed that album, um, but yeah, I you know, I I, I just love uh, you know I wouldn't have gone to all the trouble of 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 searching down orchestral musicians all over London, North London, some on the tube, if I didn't love the the marriage of guitar music and violins. That's what I love. That's why when you mentioned Lloyd Cole earlier, I mean, the, the track Rattlesnakes off the album Rattlesnakes was a huge, That just that track alone was a huge influence on me. The way that the the, the, the string, dun, 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 that string refrain goes with the guitar and the way it lifts the track. Sounds beautiful, you know. Bands like Echo and the Bunnymen, the teardrop explodes, you know, the Pale Fountains, and then going back to, you know, bands like Love and, you know, the, all straight you know indie music with orchestration there's just a there's a beauty about the way that those two worlds can can marry up yes absolutely and i do remember a film that i was quite influenced by in the 70s new york new york featuring robert de niro and liza minnelli did you ever sort of have those kind of fantasies if you ever saw that film you know of wanting to be the band leader with his tommy dorsey orchestra well well i'd sort of yeah, I kind of I liked I, I think I I I like to see myself I suppose as as a band leader. I think you know when people ask what you know what do you you know like I, I can never say I'm a singer. I've never been able to say I'm a singer. When people you know say what do you do, I say well I'm the I'm the front man for my life story. So yeah, I I like. I love raconteurs. I love I love watching Jimmy Webb talk. You know, we went went to see Jimmy Webb at the Roundhouse this year and for the first time he actually i've seen him many times the first time he actually he actually told more anecdotes and he actually played songs which was was actually it, it did go over the tipping point a bit i mean you, you do need to you really do need to play more songs and anecdotes but i do love that you know i love that aspect of performance you know, I love, I, you know, I love some of my contemporaries. You know, I love seeing people like Miles Hunt from The Wonder Staff and Jim Bob from Carter and and Mark Morris from The Blue Tones. You know, just grabbing a guitar and and going playing in your local pub and and telling story, those stories. I I really love them. I, I suppose maybe in a way that's why your question earlier about you know a film or something like that. I, I suppose I don't. I I kind of like. 
I quite like telling the stories live. You know, I like I like the I love that it, that that sort of interplay between the audience and and you know tell, I mean somebody asked me I did we, we did a record store in store show about three weeks ago when the album came out and and somebody just literally heckled and said tell us your story about when you were the lead singer of the specials you know and so I just went off and and told that story and you know I so you're right I suppose I do have a lot of anecdotes but. I, yeah, I, I, I enjoy telling them with a the crowd. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess you must get used to those comments like, oh, yes, you must. Yes, because I did. Um, actually, I remember you saying this when you were in Norwich, when someone said you were big in the 90s. You went, well, I haven't shrunk. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. must make you think, God, you've got to come up with those one-liners, really. Said, yeah, no, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm available in other decades. Oh, yeah. well, that was it. That was, that was it, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yes, and what but, would you say? Sorry, so the trouble is when I said that it's I I I I wasn't that quick with the re, the repost. I I only just came up with it and still managed to say it, but that person had already left the room. It's one of those things, you know, one of those. Oh, you know, I wish I could be really quick off the mark. Yes, yeah. but that's Dave Allen. So, what would you say to yeah. your an eighteen year old self? You know, starting out in the creative world, that is. Well, music, but it could be anything. I just wondered what, what sort of things you thought. God, that would have just been such a good thing to have known. Um, I think I probably would have said. Um, oh God, um, I think I would have just said. Um, you know, keep things simple and 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 um, and and in, you know, enjoy it as you know, try and enjoy it as much as you can because. It's very, it's very easy once you start to get even a sniff of success to think that it's owed to you. And I'm not that I ever thought that, um, but um, you know, ignore. I think, I think my, I think what I would have said said to my older self was, don't stop listening to what everybody else thinks because I did, I did do that quite a lot when I was younger, um, and there were, you know. In that in that '90s era, there were a lot of very opinionated musicians who were also quite mean as well. You know, that Britpop scene was not a fun time. You know, I've spoken to, for example, you know, we mentioned him earlier. I've spoken to Steve Norman about Spandau Ballet and Duran Duran, and you know, that that rivalry was really healthy. No different from the rivalry that the Beatles and the Stones had. You know, they they were they're all really good friends. You know. Um, all, all that lot, and and you know, disp- even despite you know the the court stuff and the you know and the and the Duran Duran Spandau thing, and you know, and you, you, know, you think of all the diff- different decades where you have have a, you know you you had this sort of adverse bands had adversaries, but I you know I don't you know it never was like you know Iggy and Bowie and, and Mark Bolan you know all these you know punk. You know, everyone really helped each other out. You know, Mark Knopfler helping out all the punk bands and tune their guitars. So I, I was sort of grown up. I grew up on all this heritage. And then when it came to Britpop, and, and we talked about a bit earlier about, you know, being very generous, you know, you, you know, inviting people to use the string section and, and, and sharing, you know, sharing music. And I was just was not prepared at all for certain pe- people in that, that were just so hell bent and driven on success. They were just just really mean. There were so many of them, um, and so I, you know, I think that my my 
what I would say to myself is just you need to ignore any outside forces that try and disrupt you and just really focus on your true art. Yes. Does it feel a bit weird then when you have these kind of 90s kind of festivals and you think, blimey, that's so-and-so, and and sometimes they probably change and they're quite decent now. So I just wonder if there's, I would hate to use the word healing, but is there kind of moments where you think, oh, actually, that's been quite a nice conversation? You know, that spinal tap, God, I thought they were such a tosser, but actually they're quite nice. Well. Yeah, on this tour, well, on the last few tours we've done, um, I, thankfully, there's been nobody on the tour that I've, yeah, that I didn't like in the past. So, you know, and, and, and of course, you know, you, you make good friends at the time and, you know, you know, you bump into, I mean, you know, you, you, you just, the weird thing about being in a band is that when you're, the friends you make back in, at that time, it's quite strange because like when you're doing a cycle of, of reviews and you're on telly or whatever you're doing you you end up bumping into the same people that are you know that have got records out the same week as you have so you end up becoming friends with you know just people that happen to really be in the charts that week that you were not necessarily you know friends from from a sort of scene i suppose as such um but I I absolutely you know that I wouldn't have done any of those kind of nostalgia shows if I if I didn't if I wasn't going to enjoy it backstage as, as well as out the front, I'm not, I'm not really one of those people that, you know, turns up to a show and then, you know, just packs up and, and leaves five minutes after the show. I like to, I like to see the other bands. I like to, I like to see, you know, I'm interested in what people are doing creatively, you know, as they're going older. Um, so, you know, it, it's been really nice hanging around with, sleeper and salad and and bands like that because you know they're really good friends um and you know we we we've, we have similar life experiences so you know we we understand we understand each other and we understand each, you know the, the paths that we've been on yes do you actually because i do just remember that martin fry interview because he did sort of say god we you know us people that who have been in bands, we should all go into an old people's home so we can yeah. sort of cope with each other's kind of, well, not cope with each, but he was kind of alluding to the idea that having been in ABC and such a huge act and then suddenly not being there anymore, you know, there was almost, it wouldn't be like going through the war, but it was something that I could tell that it was, you know, he needed to talk to other people who'd had similar experiences and how do you deal with fame and what happens afterwards when no one really, you know, is that interested? And I just wondered if you also had those feelings when you, you know, kind of moments when you met, you know, those bands like Sleeper, Echo Belly, Salad. Well, I think that the, the, just to address the, the Martin um, question, I, 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 I went to see ABC on, on the Lexington of Love um, tour this, this year and, and, and I met him backstage and we, we, the, the conversation we had was about cycling because I'm a keen cyclist and he is. And we didn't talk about music. We just talked about cycling. Um, so I guess, yeah. So maybe, <laughs> maybe there, there, maybe there could be like a, a club for people to just talk about, you know, an old performer's home. But my my answer to that question really is that, you know, for me, I've my my driver has always been writing songs. So I, I, you know, I, I don't, I can't speak for Martin, but I know that there's a lot of, there are a lot of singers and musicians I've met throughout my whole sort of 30 35 year career where the you know they're they're like their driver hasn't really been performing or writing songs 
And for me, I literally, the, the thing that I realized very quickly when, when my life was split up in, you know, properly in the year 2000, was that I had to write songs that is just part of my DNA. It's, it's how I communicate. It's how I communicated when I was a young man, um, you know, and, and, and it's how I dealt with problems. And it, it's my vehicle for expression. And, and I guess, so for me, it doesn't matter. You know, I will always write songs and I will always perform live. And if, you know, I guess certain people, they have a... Maybe they have a, a a red line, which is you know, well, I'm only going to perform if it's a you know, a, you know, a, a one thousand, two thousand capacity venue in the centre of London. Otherwise, it's not worth me doing it. And there are plenty of people that are like that. I'm not like that at all. I would like to play those venues, and I play those venues occasionally. But for me, my life is my life story, and it's going out, it's performing, and it's writing songs. And that, yes, is a good thing to be. Yeah, and I mean that's why I moved into sync as well because you know I, I guess in another era I might have been maybe writing songs for other artists or in another era it might have been I don't know um, you know maybe even writing more of my own stuff but it's just the way that the industry's moved and 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 sync is um, a really growing a growth one of the very few growth areas in the music industry so there's a there's obviously a, a financial reason for it. Um, but it means it writing for 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 telly means I can I can write a song every day, um, and there's not many other jobs in the field of composition where you can do that. So you know that's why I gravitated towards that. Yes, and when you did, you know, you did a single a few years ago, you know, twenty four twenty four hour deflower. Was that a kind of a homage to Flowered Up and the Happy Mondays? No, not at all. It's um, twenty a, a deflowerer is an old. I think it's an old Victorian term to mean to to um, to remove someone's virginity. Um, so um, and so that was just me with a. I, I, it's yeah, it's just a play on words. Twenty four hour deflower. The, the the song is about. Um, I just read the John Ronson psychopath test book and i was wondering what it would be like because we've all been out with a psychopath uh, so i was wondering what it would be like if two psychopaths actually met each other and went out with each other and and what that controlling behavior would be like <laughs> god yeah so it'd be like one of those mike lee films wouldn't it well exactly yeah 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 so that was that was it it was yeah it was a bit of fun really there's there's loads of wordplay in that song it's it's not it's not really to be taken too seriously and that's why it stands alone as a as a as a nice little sort of seven inch single that we put out and that was the signifier to, to you know to start the, the sort of my life story the next generation you know if uh, if star trek can do it then i can do it you know the uh, the idea that um you know the smaller band and going out there and doing something a bit tighter and and something that means that we can we can play live and we can bring the music to the people and and um you know and i can continue my life story, you know, and that that was that that was the signifier that record coming out in 2016 that I suppose that 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 I was going to continue uh, writing my own material. Yes, and that was me in conversation with Jake Schillingford from My Life Story. If you want to know any more information about the band, they have a very good website, mylifestory.band. 
mylifestory.band. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just go to at C86 Show. And also you can find these shows have been archived on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, and also occasionally on Mixcloud. Anyway, thank you for listening, if you still are. And if you are, you need a medal. Anyway, thank you, Jake.